Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here this morning. Appreciate you coming out to meet with your God, whether you're, you're in person here, whether you're listening through the live stream. Welcome to New Hope Community Church. Welcome to your family. So glad that you're here. We're continuing in our series this morning called Mercy Based on the Life of Jonah. And when we started out in chapter one, we talked about what is the measure of our mercy, meaning how much mercy do we have towards other people around us, compassion, forgiveness towards their life. And then last week, as we looked at Jonah running from God, we looked at God's individual measure of mercy and how that was portrayed in Jonah's life. And this morning, I want to, as we go into chapter three, look at God's measure of corporate mercy or a state or a country this morning. A recent scientific study in November 2018 confirmed a catastrophe from heaven destroyed all life in the area of the Dead Sea many thousands of years ago. After a decade of digging, archaeologist Philip Sylvia of Trinity Southwestern University in Albuquerque reported on his research. Sylvia led excavations at five large sites on the Jordanian side of the Jordan River. According to Sylvia, the area was populated continuously for 2,500 years. Some form, though, of catastrophe 3,700 years ago brought that to a sudden end, wiping out all of the 40 to 65,000 inhabitants of that area. Studies of the remains of 120 small settlements in the region showed signs of extreme collapse-inducing heat and wind. Pottery was discovered to have been exposed to heat so intense that it, it melted into glass. Zircon crystals in those glassy coats formed within one second as extremely high temperatures, perhaps as high as the surface of the sun brought its impact. This event was so catastrophic that that area was not rebuilt on or inhabited for another 600 years. It's interesting that we find this dialogue in Genesis 18 in the Old Testament between Abraham and God. God is coming to annihilate Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities. And Abraham comes to him and says, hey God, I mean, if there are 50 righteous people there, would you still annihilate it? And God said, well, no, I'll relent. And then he says, well, what about 45? And God says, no, I'll relent. Well, hey, what about 40? You know, I'll relent. Hey, what about 30, 20? He gets God down to 10. If there's 10 righteous people in these cities, would you still abolish them, destroy them? And God said, no, I would relent. But what do we read in Genesis 19, 24, 25? This is what it says. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. The researchers determined 
that what took place was a meteoritic airburst like the one that took place 110 years ago in Russia. On the morning of June 30th, 1908, a huge explosion flattened 770 square miles of forest. The explosion is attributed to the airburst of a meteor. The burst equaled that of a 15 megaton nuclear explosion or a thousand times more powerful than the first nuclear bomb ever made and dropped at Hiroshima. A thousand times more powerful. So the destruction, not only of Sakaia and the other cities of the plane, was most likely caused by a meteoritic airburst event. The researchers are concluding. The scientific explanation clearly reflects the biblical description of the destruction of the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah located in that same area. Because God's character trait includes that of justice, he brings judgment on people, as we see with Sodom and Gomorrah. His justice, though, is also equaled with his mercy. God is 50% justice, wrath, but he is also 50% a God of mercy, compassion, forgiveness. This was the tension that Abraham had with God, right? Well, hey, if there's 50 people, would you still destroy it that are righteous? If there's you know, down to 10 people, would you still destroy it? And God says, no, I would relent. He's showing his mercy in his desire for wrath, right? And we see in the book, in the story of Jonah, it's this same tension that is taking place there. So number one, we see and we've been talking about Assyria's corporate wickedness. We read in the prophet Nahum this picture of what Assyria or the capital city of Assyria, Nineveh, was like. It's described as, woe the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victim. They are ruthless people. Now we go back to Genesis 18, verse 2021, prior to God coming to Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says, Then the Lord said, The out go down and see Sodom and Gomorrah is so great that their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. So their sin, their ruthlessness has reached God. But what does it say in Jonah chapter 1-2? What does God say? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah, their wickedness came up before God. God's saying, listen, the Assyrians, their capital city, Nineveh, their wickedness, their ruthlessness, their sin has come before me. It's sitting on my desk before me. And what do we remember of Jonah's story? Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, and he ends up running the other way. Why? Because he loathed the Assyrians. He hated them. 
Why? Because they were a thorn in the flesh to the Israelites. They had hurt the Israelite nation and all the nations around them. They were a powerful nation and they were ruthless, right? City of blood, full of lies, plunder, without victim. And the last thing that Jonah wanted to do was to carry the potential mercy of God to these people. He wanted them destroyed. And so we see that he goes down to the port of Joppa, hops on a ship because he wants to head to Tarshish, which is the farthest distance from Nineveh. But yet God brings this storm, right? The ship's going to go under. The crewmen recognize Jonah's the issue. They throw him overboard. Jonah cries out to God. God sends a huge fish to swallow him, then spit him up on dry ground. We talked last week on how that is a picture of God's individual mercy in Jonah's life and how he extends us individual mercy as well when we repent of our ways and turn to him. But we get this picture of God putting Jonah up on dry ground and then we go into chapter three where Jonah now obeys him and heads to Nineveh. It says God calls him again and he obeys. Now it takes him 30 days to get to Nineveh because of the distance by foot. So he could have turned back, he could have decided otherwise, but he was obedient. And when he gets there, we see a picture of God's corporate mercy on the Assyrians. Let me read it to you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he said every day, all day. The Ninevites believed God. A fast proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So a fast was giving up food and drink. A fast was putting on like sackcloth, putting ashes over them. It was a picture of repentance from what they had done wrong, remorse. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. I mean, this king is going the extra yard. In scripture, you don't see animals being covered with sackcloth, not eating or drinking as part of a fast. And so he recognized, he recognizes the situation and the seriousness of it. He says, let everyone call urgently to God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. He knows it's a city of blood. He knows it's a city of lies and plunder with victims. And he says, who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. He is hoping on the mercy of God. He's hoping that that 50% comes to Nineveh, to the Assyrian nation. And what does it say in verse 10? When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. We get this incredible picture of God's corporate mercy for a nation. But what's interesting about this story is, is that 150 years later, God abolishes the Assyrians 
from the map with the Babylonians. Why? Because they ended up back in their ruthless, bloodthirsty, lying, plundering, taking advantage of people ways. And he, 150 years later, brings his justice, brings his wrath, as opposed to his mercy. And we get this picture of this corporate mercy, but yet 150 years later, it shifts. So those who think that nations stand or fall because of strong national defense are woefully ignorant of biblical principles. God is the God over the nations. We read it in Job 12, 23. He makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nations, then leads them away. And so we get this picture of this corporate wickedness, the Assyrians' corporate wickedness. But in their turning, in their repenting of their sin, their remorse, God extends to them corporate mercy. But after 150 years, we know that they were taken off by the Babylonians. And as I was preparing, I had to think about where is America at right now? Where is America at with America's corporate wickedness? I mean, we have to wonder if our wickedness, like Sodom and Gomorrah, like Nineveh, has come up before the Lord. Is our wickedness on his desk in the end pile as a nation or as a city or as a county or as a state or as a country? Because I believe how we are living makes God sad. And I am a little acrostic with this. And what makes him sad, first of all, is the S, the sexual sin that goes on in this country. And not just, oh, it's out there. It's in this city, it's in this county, it's in this state, in our neighborhoods. We need to recognize that the pornography business is a 97 billion dollar business a year. It's more than the NBA, the NFL, and the Major League Baseball put together. A year ago, we hosted the Super Bowl, but you know what we also hosted? The number one event that brings sex trafficking. And this year, it's the final four. We got the final four. We also got the number one sex trafficking of men, girls, boys, boys and girls, men and women. That In life, they don't want to like, oh, yeah, I want to do this. No, they're held hostage in this area. Look at the statistics. One in four women who grew up girls have been sexually abused. One in six men who grew up as boys have been sexually abused. So here at New Hope, if we just do the numbers, on any given week, 800 people come through our doors in different ministry aspects, from worship on Sunday to our uh, youth group to different events to uh, recovery pieces and that. And add 800 adults, youth, and children come through our doors. If we add the statistic to this, that means one in four women who are girls or girls, 200 have been sexually abused. If we look at men or who grew up boys, 133 out of 800 have been sexually abused. If we add that number up, it's 333. It is 40% of our congregation 
potentially have been sexually abused. Do we have a sin problem in this country? I think so. We have a sin problem in this country. We're challenged with gender. We're challenged with what really is marriage. We're challenged with, obviously, divorce rates to adultery to affairs. And it's not just like, oh, it's out there. No, it's everywhere. And we have to ask, is this coming up before the Lord? But let's look at the A of sad, abortion. Since 1973, Roe versus Wade, over 60 million abortions within the United States. And when they talk about abortion, typically they say, well, it's due to you know, incest or it's due to rape or it's due to a medical condition and that's why it's done or whatever. But statistically, only 2% of abortions are done because of incest or rape, 15% because of a potential medical issue. And typically, it's with the child or deformity or disability or whatever. That means that 83% of abortions are just because we're, it's inconveniencing us. You know, hey, I don't have time right now to have a child, and, that's, and I have a right to end this life. Okay? It's interesting that last year, Planned Parenthood, which provides abortions, had a revenue of $1.6 billion. A third of their revenue, $536 million, came from us as taxpayers. It's interesting as well that they are open about selling baby parts. Lungs, brains. We're abhorred by that, but yet we allow that. It takes place as a people, as a nation. I looked on, I was just curious, so I looked up the global Fortune 500 list of companies who make the most money in a year. And the leader of that list globally is Walmart at $500 million in revenue last year. But yet Planned Parenthood, $1.6 billion or million or billion dollars in revenue last year. I'm thinking, something's wrong here. Something's odd here about this. And I have to ask, is this wickedness coming up before the Lord? And then there's another A in this sad piece, and that is this. As Christ followers as people who claim Christ as Lord and Savior, they are entertained by evil. We are entertained by evil. And I believe we're taught by it because we put ourselves before it. But the things that we abhor, rape, incest, embezzlement, stealing, putting people down, racism, you name it, the things that we abhor, we go home at night and we turn on the TV and we watch it as entertainment. CSI shows, sitcoms that degrade women or men, whatever it might be. And as Christ followers, we are entertained by it. And some of it can be so subtle, so subtle. Like the, the, the show The Bachelor. I mean, this, this guy, good looking has position, has money in that. He has 15, 20 women that are fighting to see if you know, he would say yes, giving them a rose, yay, marry me, and that kind of stuff. And, that. and so the women do all kinds of things to win the guy. And I'm thinking, seriously? That is what I believe? That men have all the power, and they're like a Ken doll that walks down the row, 
at the store and can pick between 20 Barbie dolls. And I don't like you. I don't like you. You're not good looking enough. You don't have any you know, position or this or that or whatever it might be. And I'm thinking, would I watch this with my five-year-old daughter or eight-year-old daughter or my 15-year-old daughter and say, yeah, this is how it works, honey. This is how it works. Get used to it. This is how relationships are and how men treat women and women treat men and how the world views it. And I'm thinking, no. And so I think what we give attention to, and I have to ask, is that wickedness coming up before God? And then we look at the D of sad, the whole drug epidemic and situation. Over $100 billion in illegal drugs within this country. And the number one killer of life in this country are three legal drugs, tobacco, alcohol, and prescription drugs used wrongly. And we have to ask the question, like Sodom, Gomorrah, like Nineveh, is our wickedness coming up before the Lord? Is it on his desk, in his in pile? How close are we? As a nation, I mean, I didn't even mention the other sins of idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, jealousy, divisions, envy, stealing, lying, and gossip. America is becoming less and less by minute, by day, by month, a Christian nation, one who is humble before the true and living God. It has shifted in other parts of the world, Latin America and China, in Asia and Africa. And so we need to pay attention and wonder, is our corporate wickedness before God? And it should move us then as well, like it moved the king of Nineveh and the people as a whole, from great to small, to look at God's corporate mercy. When Jonah brought the statement, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed, the people repented. In Jeremiah 18, 7, 8, it says this, at any time I might announce that a nation or kingdom will be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed. But if the nation I warned turns from its evil, then I will relent of the disaster I planned to inflict. And that is where we need to be. Is that, man, it could be this afternoon or tomorrow where God says enough is enough because your wickedness has shown up before me. And the reason that God's mercy is present in our lives and available to us individually and also corporately as a people is because of his wrath and his need for justice. That's why he has mercy on the other side available. And so here at New Hope Community Church, lastly, is we need to recognize that New Hope's existence is for this corporate calling of what? To be Jonah's to our neighborhood, to our city, to our county, to our state, to our nation. That we are, as Jonah, supposed to go out and to share God's judgment but also God's mercy. 
And he calls us to be ambassadors for him. To carry this gift of mercy to those around us who are apart from him, who are at this moment under his wrath, individually and corporately. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, Apostle Paul says this, gives this picture of the ambassador. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He brought us into relationship with him. He relented of his wrath in our lives. He brought mercy into our lives, and now he's calling us to go do that with others. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why? Because God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus ended up on the cross so that Bill Burke, so that everyone else here could stand right before God and be in his mercy. And God is calling us as the church to be his ambassadors. And the only way we can be ambassadors if we are with people who are different than us. An ambassador to the United States doesn't live in the United States among US citizens. No, they go to other countries, to a people who are very different than them and represent the United States. And God is calling us, be my ambassadors. Go to a different place where people are different than you and tell them of my judgment, but tell them of my mercy, my compassion, my forgiveness, my love for them. We are called to be the Jonas right now, to carry judgment and mercy to Isani County and beyond. And I know for some of us, we are like Jonah. Well, I don't wanna to go to my neighbor. The guy leaves his trash on my lawn and stuff. Forget that. Or you know what, that gal at work, oh, she just rubs me the wrong way. I said, really? I got to extend mercy? Tell her of God's love and compassion? Yeah. We're called to be ambassadors. And the only reason I'm standing before you today is because I had ambassadors in my life. Nick Nicola, Aaron Williams, Dave Walton, were my ambassadors. They brought me the word of God and said, God loves you. He wants you to repent. He wants you to turn. He wants to forgive you. And God is calling us as well to go out and to be ambassadors and to bring corporate mercy to this city of Cambridge, to this county, to this state, to this nation. Because we do not know how close our wickedness has come before God. And if we are next on his end pile. Let's pray.
Father God, I pray that we would be a people who first off repent in our lives of our sin and that we could be soaked by your mercy. But I pray we would leave this place recognizing whether it's our neighbor, those we work with, those we go to school with, whoever it might be, that they do not know the mercy of God and that God's wrath one day will come. Every knee and, and tongue will confess Jesus Christ, whether they believe in him or not. They'll recognize. And so I pray that we would be a people who would be ambassadors, that we'd be a light in darkness, that we'd be a sweet fragrance, that we'd be salty, and that we'd be witnesses for you. In your holy name.